All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, I'll read verse 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Now let's go to chapter 3, verse 15. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 15. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been done, and God requireth that which is past. And thus the reading of God's word, and all his people say, Amen. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we pray thee now that you would open up your word to us, that we would appreciate your sovereignty and your love for us, and all that you do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, The title of this morning's sermon is uh, Deja Vu All Over Again. Deja Vu All Over Again. Now, last week I had preached a, a Christmas message, sort of, and I did hear the comment, which is true. I've never heard one quite like that before. <laughs> and I thought, well, I've never done one like that quite before, because as I was reading through Scripture and as um, the Lord has led me to certain verses, things have been coming up in my heart that um, are both troubling and yet comforting when you view things in the context and in the um, overall comprehensive nature of Scripture. When I was looking at what people refer to as the Christmas story, you know, we're focusing about God being manifest in the flesh, which is certainly the most important thing about it. But that's a story, I'll put that word in quotes, there's a narrative there, a chronicle of the history of what actually took place that, that, that covers a two-year window in the section of what we read in Matthew and what we read in the book of Luke. And there's something very troubling what happens two years after the birth of Christ, and that's where Herod orders the slaying of all children under the age of two, or two and younger, not just in uh, Bethlehem, where he thinks the Messiah is, but in the coasts roundabout, all the cities roundabout there. That's, that's, uh, that's murder, and it's genocide, and it's awful there. Um, but one of the things we have to appreciate is that a sovereign God ordained that it be that way. We don't like to hear that, but that's a fact. The star led those wise men, probably from Babylon. They had the scriptures there with them because they had been taken there when the uh, Israelites were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. They read it. God placed upon their hearts the truth of it, that the Messiah, he who was king of the Jews, where he would be born, or rather that he would be born, and the star um, was indicative of the timing. And that star led them to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. Could have led them around Jerusalem, but it didn't. They went to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. And it said the star stopped over where the Christ child was. So we have to ask ourselves, why would God ordain that kind of a thing? And we can meditate on that. I'm not going to cover that this morning. I'm going to talk about some other things in the context of in the history of um, of the Israelites and the history of the world and what we can expect moving forward because uh, many people have said to me recently, Happy New Year, and I listen to it and I go, well, I don't know about that, <laughs> and we'll talk about that some more, but okay, I understand it's a, it's a greeting that we share this time of year. But when the Lord led the Israelites out of Egypt, you know, they had been in Goshen, which is at the north end of the Nile River, and if it had been me, I would have just kept the Mediterranean Sea on my left side and followed the coast up and fished my way all the way up to um, the Promised Land. It was only 100 miles away, but that's not the way the Lord led them. He led them across the Nile, down south, uh, 
through the Sinai Peninsula, across the Red Sea, and then into, quote, the wilderness of sin. That's how the Lord uh, says it there. And why did he do that? Well, he says why. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, he says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. God had a purpose for leading his people um, where he did and under the circumstances that he did. And so the Lord does the same thing to us. He leads us through this present evil world, a wilderness of sin, to prove us and to try our hearts under the umbrella of conforming us to the image of his Son. So, again, Happy New Year. Well, we'll see about that. Better a blessed New Year with all of the trials and tribulations commensurate with the Christian walk. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, the Lord says, For we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. God is telling us what kind of a walk we should expect. So while it's, that's true for the Christians, given what's going on in a global context, I see dark clouds on the horizon for all people. Hence the title of the message, Deja Vu All Over Again. I feel like... I've had this feeling before that we as a people in history have been here before. So when we look around and see what's happening in the world, does it not seem like it has gone mad? Again, for the past couple of years, our politicians have been calling evil good and good evil. They've been putting darkness for light and light for darkness, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Not only have they been calling it so, but they've actually been legislating it so. And so have we not gone through periods like this before, where the people are subject to, their, uh, to evil politicians or evil kings, their rulers, leading us in a way we should not go? Isaiah chapter 3, verse 12 says, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O oh, my people... They which lead thee, um, cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy paths. God wrote that over 2,700 years ago. Evil politicians are going to lead the people in evil ways, in ways that they should not go. And we see that in what's happening in our society today. And sometimes we have trouble figuring out how that happens in a democratic society. Because, after all, don't we elect those that rule over us. Locally, we have people moving out of this state due to political and economic oppression. Yet those same people bring their politics with them so as to create in their new location the same economic and political oppression that they left. We see that in a uh, national context or in a global context with respect to immigration. People fleeing political corruption and its consequential economic oppression coming to this country and voting to place in office people whose policies are like those from which they have fled. And we sit here and we wonder, what is wrong with these people? Can they not see what they're doing? Cannot our neighbors see the results of these political policies? Conservative red states, at least in principle, turn purple and then they turn blue with the movement of people bringing with them an infectious thought process that is contrary to sound 
simple biblical truths. What does God say in the scriptures? He says, evil communications corrupt good manners. You think your goodness is going to rub off on them? That's not the way it works. The opposite is the way it works. We have all heard the sage admonition, quote, people who forget history are condemned to repeat it. Condemned. That's a strong word implicit with negativity. They are condemned to repeat it. When we consider the evils of the last century, we can read that 262 million people were murdered at the hands of corrupt leaders. There's a word for it. It's called democide, death by government. Now, you know in the scriptures that the beast is the government, so it's not surprising we would find that there's a word, democide, meaning death by government. That involved political purges as evil men, who are the tools of the beast, consolidated their power. It includes ethnic cleansing and genocide. It includes the intentional reorganizing society, making doctors into farmers and farmers into doctors, creating famines, knowing that it will kill millions of people. Again, people who forget history are condemned to repeat it. So says the wisdom of man. Is there anybody in political leadership that has forgotten these things? The great evils that came out of the last century, from Hitler, Stalin, and Mussolini, to name only three. Has anybody forgotten the evil laws that were passed during those times that legalized the incarceration of large groups of people, indeed millions of them, stealing their property, and then finally their murder and deaths? Has anybody forgotten those things? Do we not teach them to our children how these institutionalized murderous policies started? First, by gaslighting and propagandizing the people, then setting forth a means of identifying and vilifying certain peoples, then setting them apart from the generally compliant population, then incarcerating them and stealing their property, and then finally murdering them. Fear-mongering is a common tool of manipulation, and Satan knows that. In Job chapter 2, verse 4, Satan said to God, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. That is true. Put the fear of man's life in him, and he will do what he thinks is necessary to preserve it, including the identification of the perceived danger or threat, and then the removal of it, including you and me, if they think that's in their best interest. And all this they do in their mind, using a very rational and justifiable process, thinking, is it not for the good of society that we do these things? From living by God's grace in relative peace with your neighbor, to absent God's grace, legally ostracizing and stealing his property and then murdering him, we the people and quickly and have very quickly done throughout the course of history. We've done it in the early history of this country in the context of slavery for which the Lord extracted a terrible price during the Civil War and again with respect to the Native American Indians. Though we look to Europe of the last century for example of these atrocities and the policies that preceded and promoted them, we should remember that the Nazis came to this country looking for precedent on how they might legislatively identify Jews, and in so doing, they looked to our country to see how we identified blacks before they codified it into their own laws over in Germany. 
As I said before, this country cannot look down upon any other country with a sense of moral indignation. As men who are created by God, men that are subject to the fallen God's subsequent curse upon man and the earth, we should appreciate that we today are no different than the peoples of the 20th century Europe or the peoples of the, uh, the 19th century United States. Absent the merciful intervention of God, people don't change. Our deacon this morning quoted from, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where it talks about if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Absent the intervention of God, people don't change. Again, the wisdom of man says those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Surely we have lots of students of history, people that have chronicled the things of the past so we might learn from the past and moving forward live in peace. But to do so, to learn from the past and move forward in peace would contradict the governance and nature of man. The Bible tells us that man is in bondage to sin and to Satan, that he does things according to the will of Satan and is driven by the lusts of his flesh and his sinful nature. Psalm 58, verse 3 says, quote, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. From the fall of Adam downward in time until the present time, the nature of man has not changed. Before the flood, we know that absent the grace of God, the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. That's Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Just a few more verses down, we can appreciate that the nature of man did not change after the flood. This is a quote before the flood. Genesis 6, 12. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. God looked upon the earth, and that is what he sees. That's pre-flood. Psalm 14, that's post-flood. Psalm 14, verse 2 and 3. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That's post-flood. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, we read the same thing. That's post-cross. Pre-flood, post-flood, pre-cross, post-cross. There is no change in the nature of man unless God intervenes personally in that man's heart. Now, knowing the biblical truths, it would be foolish for us to expect this year or century to be different from the last. Man says, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Can we not remember the past? God says, it doesn't matter. You are going to repeat it. Consider Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 10. It says there, Ecclesiastes 7, 10, Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Why is it not wise? Because the former days are not better than these days, neither are they any worse. And that's the point of me sharing some history with you. It's all the same. Things don't change. I read earlier Ecclesiastes 1.9. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. 
and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. 3.15, that which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. Man says, he that forgets history is condemned to repeat it. God says, man is going to repeat history, so study it so you know what's coming down the pipe. And you will know to whom you should turn for deliverance from this present evil world. Study history so you know what's coming down the pike, and you will know to whom you should turn for deliverance and from this evil world. We should have no expectation that this century will be different than the last one in terms of the expression of the depravity of man. As a matter of fact, God says we should expect it to be the same. We should expect there to be the millions of hun- the murder of the millions of, of people. And I have to share with us that might include you, and it might include me, and it might include people that we love. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that we will agree that whatever trials, tribulations, or chastisement we suffer are for our good. It doesn't mean that we understand that or appreciate it, but it is God's truth. They are for our good. God says so. He who formed man out of the dust of the earth, and as such is our potter, has ordained them for our good to conform us to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ, who is the Almighty. Meditate upon who you're being conformed to. You're being conformed to the image of God's Son, who is the Almighty. Most of the saints that we read about in the Bible suffered while they were pilgrims on this earth. And you can read about it, particularly in the last half of Hebrews chapter 11, when you consider their walk. There are, however... Millions of them who we don't read about, very much like ourselves, who suffered when our sovereign God lifted up one nation over against another throughout the course of history. The historical period of the judges chronicles Israel's cycle of enjoying God's blessing due to obedience, followed by their rebellion to God, and then their oppression as God brought in other peoples that might act as his chastening agent which was then followed by their cry for a deliverer and then God providing them a deliverer to repeat it by their uh, disobedience and their uh, fall into rebellion and then God bringing in oppression. That cycle just went through the 450 years of the judges. You'd think they would have learned, but they don't. God says that which was, is, and shall be. In spite of all that God did to teach his people, the relationship between his blessings and their obedience, they never learn the lesson. As the Lord continued to work with Israel, we know that God brought the Assyrians upon them because of their institutionalized disobedience, idolatry, and rejection of his word. 136 years later, God brought the Babylonians down who destroyed Jerusalem, burned the temple, and took Judah into captivity. Then he brought the Medi persians then he brought the Greeks, then he brought the Romans, and in that process of conquest, oppression, and persecution, many of the saints suffered greatly. Again, the thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, 
And there is no new thing under the sun. Lots of God's people have suffered throughout the course of history because the political leaders of the country led the people astray. And this will continue because God says so. God has set forth a pattern in scriptures for our benefit. In Romans 15, 80 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, and he hasn't recorded everything, certainly in the scriptures, but he has recorded certain things. Whatever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. So what should we learn? Well, we should learn to trust God. We should learn that it is all for our good. He says it is for our good, and he tells us what he's doing uh, with it, what the purpose of it is. We should learn to look to him in all things and in all circumstances, to keep our eyes and our hearts and our mind firmly fixed upon Christ and our eternal home in him. There's a reason he calls the people in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 pilgrims because they're passing through. The reason, there's a reason they all lived in tents. Again, it's because it, this was a temporary uh, dwelling place. They kept their eyes fixed on Christ, on that city whose builder and maker is God, a city with foundations. They were ever looking forward to being with him. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we read, Wherefore, seeing we also, meaning as the saints that preceded us, were provided with something better than this earth has to offer, we, like them also, are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Those that preceded us were to think about their lives. How did they get through this earth? Whom did they look to? Whom delivered them? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Forget about all the issues of this world, all of the politics. Jesus didn't come to change it. He came to pull people out of it. And that's our job as ambassadors, is to preach Christ that um, God might, by grace, put the truth of the gospel upon their hearts, and they too will then can look to an eternal glory. So stay in your lane. You know that when you're in a race, if you turn and look sideways, you're going to lose. So keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Stay in your lane. That's what the Lord has told us to do. Run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. If you were to think of your life as a story, who was the author of it? It's Christ, and he's the finisher of it. He's writing your life uh, the way he wants it to go, and that's the way it's going to go. So keep your eyes. The eyes of faith looked upon him, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that was set before Christ? It's eternal fellowship with you. That was the joy that was set before Christ. He kept his eye ever on that, and he considered not the shame of the cross as anything to be um, thought about. He despised the shame, which means he trotted underneath his foot. He kept his eye fixed on the eternal glory, the eternal joy that he would have in eternal fellowship with the saints. And that is what we should keep before our hearts. Do not let this world rob you of your joy. 
Keep your eyes fixed upon Christ and our eternal fellowship with God in Christ. All things were created by him and for him and for his good pleasure. He has placed us in this world exactly where he wants us to be. Not only geographically, but socioeconomically and in point of time. We are exactly where he wants us to be. We are subject to the principalities and powers of a political system that he has created for our good. We are exactly where he wants us to be. We are subject to the circumstances he wants us to live under to humble us and to prove us and for us for us to know what is in our hearts. And I ask the question, what is in your heart? Is it Christ, the hope of glory? What is it? For us to complain about our situation is to murmur against God. It is to tell our friends and family that we know better than our omnipotent and omniscient God what is best for us. It is for the clay to tell the clay maker how best to fashion the vessel. And that is sin. Sometimes when I'm witnessing to people, they will bring up the Holocaust. How could a loving God do such a thing? I find the best way to answer their question is with another question. And what I ask them is, where was your God? Where was your God when that took place? We know that the Holocaust happened. It's well documented. So where was your God when it happened? The God of the Bible said it would happen. And then he said it would happen again and that it would happen again. And furthermore, the God of the Bible asks the rhetorical question, shall there be evil in the city, and the Lord hath not done it. The Bible makes it crystal clear that God is sovereign over all of the affairs of men. So the God of the Bible, while ever placing before us the depravity of man, and therefore man's responsibility for the atrocities against men, also sets before us, his sovereignty over all the affairs of men. At no point in the history of this world was there ever an event that was not superintended by him, nor will there ever be, including the point where it's burned up and dissolved and everything is done away with, and he ushers in a new heaven and a new earth. He is superintended over every point in history, and that includes his own crucifixion. It was done by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, executed and performed by the wicked hands of men. Everything that has been, has been for the good of those that love God. Everything that is, is for the good for those that love God. And everything that will be, will be for the good of those that love God. And there is no new thing under the sun. That which has been done, that which is done, and that which will be done again and again and again will always be for the good of those that love God. God is perfect in love, and all that he does is absolutely perfect in perfecting his love in us. Whether we understand it or appreciate it or not, it is true. God is perfect in love. And all that he does is absolutely perfect in perfecting his love in us. To complain about our circumstances is to castigate him for his work in our lives as he conforms us to the image of his son. 
It is sin, and it robs us of the joy and peace we might have in Christ, truly knowing and therefore believing that all things work together for our good. When we consider the world around us, we should look for God's shapening hand, for it is ever-present. He gave us His only begotten Son. He died for us, washing our sins in His own blood. All that He does is for our good, however unpleasant it may seem to us. Ecclesiastes 3.15 again, That which has been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. He changes not. We have been blessed. We are blessed. And we will be blessed. I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 8. Ephesians 1, 3, 8. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, past tense, blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 1. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It was his good pleasure to bless us. To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Verse 8, wherein he hath abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence. All wisdom and prudence. And all of the trials and tribulations that we are experienced, it is for our good to conform us to the image of his Son. So moving forward this year, let us keep Christ ever in our minds. Let go of the things of this world. Keep our eyes on Christ. And as for having a happy new year, I don't know about that. As for having a blessed new year, to that I say, Amen.